This is Tom Fox. Welcome to the newest edition in the Compliance Podcast Network, my latest podcast, Compliance and Coronavirus. As the voice of compliance, I wanted to start a podcast which will help bring both clarity and sanity to the field of compliance, the compliance practitioner, and indeed the compliance profession during this worldwide health and healthcare crisis. Taking up a variety of topics as diverse as working from home to sporting events, to the role of the board of directors, to crisis management, to the role of supply chains. We will look at all of these in this podcast. If you have a topic you'd like covered on compliance and coronavirus, please let me know. I'd be happy to do a podcast on it. Today's podcast concludes our week of affiliated monitors on compliance and coronavirus. Today I have with me Mikhail Reader Gordon. We take a look at the issues relating to business reopenings, in some cases, business closings, all from the compliance perspective. It's a fascinating exploration of where we are now and where we may be down the road. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again for another episode. And today I have back with me Mikhail Reeder Gordon. And she is a managing director at Affiliated Monitors. And first of all, uh, thanks so much for taking the time to visit with me. It is my pleasure to be back with you, Tom. Today, we wanted, I wanted to take up some of uh, the topics, issues uh, that you were seeing around COVID-19. So I was wondering if we might, if I could start with, what are perhaps the three top questions you are seeing around phased business reopening, recognizing that you're in California, I'm in Texas, <laughs> states are in various phases of reopening or reclosing. Reclosing. Or, or, or something or other. And uh, so I was just wondering, what are some of the top issues you're seeing around that issue from the compliance perspective? Yeah, I think, you know, the top question, how did you manage the disruption since we started the reopening process and now we're shutting down again and we're looking at the fall with additional shutdowns or continued shutdown. Uh, flexibility, right? I mean, it may sound trite, but flexibility you know, leverage the fact that by now your staff have figured out largely how to work uh, with one another remotely. If if they were going to be able to do that, they've they've got it down by now. Uh, that said, uh, don't don't chintz, don't be cheap on that robust communication platform. Um, you know, this is not the time to rely solely on uh, freebies, and and this is not to ding the zooms and the com- free conference calling uh, apps of the world, but. You know, invest in in secure encrypted communications. Uh, I think the next question is, you know, it's all so uneven. Uh, we've got our lo- organization has, you know, locations scattered all around the country, the world. Do we have to change our processes? And I say, no. You know, adapt. Uh, are you ever going to get back to normal? Um, look, if I had. If I had those kind of prognostication capabilities, I'd probably play the ponies and run a very successful hedge fund. Um, I, I bridle at the excuse that there are these are uncertain times. Uh, life is uncertain. It's the nature of life. It's the nature of business, right? We fool ourselves when we, when we make any assertions to the contrary. Uh, unanticipated, unforeseen events happen all the time to businesses. Uh, organizations experience uh, disruptive events. They did so before the pandemic. They'll do so again after the pandemic, long after a vaccine is developed, I hope. There will be other disruptions. And and in some ways, this is the test of the risk plan, right? Where you, What did you anticipate uh, 
was capable of genuinely disrupting your business? Um, have you made adjustments? Uh, there's, you know, it's not applicable. There's not a, a panacea for for one and all. I, I do think on the compliance front, it worries me a little bit um, when I look at uh, currently so many American um, folks who won't comply with the most basic COVID-19 safety precautions, right? We're seeing a lot of pushback on wearing masks in public. Um, some businesses opting not to even uh, require that. And, 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 you know, the activities we've seen in bars and, and parties, it doesn't really bode well for the notion, right, of us having an inbuilt ethical culture of compliance as a nation. Um, if we can't comply with the regulation and guidance, you know, for saving our own lives um, and others, friends and family, uh, what, does that, what does that mean for fostering a culture of compliance um, in a business organization or institution? I think another thing that, that, that firms need to think about are the implications of their wider compliance function. You know, have you, have you stopped or reduced your oversight um, of certain areas being managed? Um, you know, are you still meeting your reporting uh, deadlines uh, for, you know, regulatory reporting? You know, can, can, you, can you make those operational changes now? Um, again, we've had quite a number of months now to adjust. So it, this is also the time, I think, to step back and take a look at uh, have you dropped the ball in some areas uh, just because um, of the disruption? So uh, let me pick up on the last point, um, Kyle, because you seem to move past the issue of a culture of override to really a culture of noncompliance and that you're, you fear that that uh, could creep into not only an organization, but really the philosophy of a compliance function just to get through this phase of wherever we are in the, uh, the COVID-19 saga and that that's something that uh, you believe compliance officers need to absolutely face down. Oh, absolutely. I, I you know, and I think if they need, if they need that external uh, validation that the, these are genuine concerns, that this this sort of this attitude um, adjustment not for the better. Um, you know, I think you have to look at. Um, regulatory guidance that has come out over the past few months from from a myriad of uh, of regulatory bodies um you know that don't make this assumption that that they're going to refrain or decrease their surveillance of corporate behavior it's it's very clear not just here in the US but elsewhere in the world that whilst you know regulators are sympathetic to to what businesses are faced with at the moment um and what the pandemic has created but Compliance remains critical here, and and for compliance officers, I think you can point to this um, when you when you're talking to your boards, uh, to other senior leaders. You know, it was only what, I don't know four or five weeks ago. David Fuhr, the assistant chief of DOJ's anti-foreign bribery unit, um, told the Wall Street Journal in an interview that quote compliance has to continue, and quote reporting and detecting misconduct continue to be very important things for companies to do. And that's absolutely true. I, if you go back a little further, FATF issued specific guidance to financial institutions on compliance during COVID, and they highlighted key risks associated with money flows during this time. They made a point 
uh, in the guidance to instruct FIs to tune their compliance programs to better help detect uh, money laundering and threat finance facilitated by the crisis. OFAC, uh, back in April, released a statement saying it recognizes, you know, this can cause this being COVID-19. It caused technical resource challenges for organizations, but they went on to admonish, you know, look, companies, you've got to take that risk-based approach to sanctions compliance. Um, You know, if you're facing technical or resource challenges caused by the the pandemic, um, you know, and as part of its risk-based approach to sanctions compliance, um, you know, there's, there's a challenge uh, and you've temporarily reallocated uh, the, what, what resources you would typically use for sanctions compliance towards something else. You know, OFAC will evaluate that as a factor in determining the appropriate administrative response uh, to an apparent violation, but it's only a factor that they'll consider. It's not an excuse. It's, it, you don't get to say, well, sorry, we redirected everything uh, to COVID and, and gave up trying to... Um, meet our regulatory obligations. You know, FinCEN said something very similar in their guidance, uh, telling FIs, look, consider, evaluate, and responsibly implement innovative approaches, their their words, innovative approaches, to meet the compliance obligations, further strengthen uh, financial systems against illicit activity, financial activity, Uh, In May, we heard DOJ, SEC, and FBI in a town hall. Don't worry, folks, it was virtual. Um, And every single one of the representatives there really emphasized uh, the criticality of compliance, um, despite the pandemic. And again, uh, you know, one of them made a point of saying, you know, the impact of the pandemic on operations will not be a defense to a violation. And I think organizations really need to internalize that. Uh, The SFO has gone on record saying they're hiring additional staff to address uh, this and the complexity of cases despite COVID. I think this is a wake-up call. Um, You know, this this is not the time uh, to cut back on compliance, on due diligence efforts, uh, claiming COVID challenges. You know, and this this will go to our this goes to, you know to Wirecard. But last week, the German government conducted a survey of German companies seeking information about how these companies would go about conducting due diligence on their business partners, their suppliers, their vendors, etc., and what level of due diligence they were conducting. And they wanted to get some granularity, some understanding, because they're they're drafting some legislation at the moment that's relevant. And out of more than two thousand companies, about twenty two hundred companies. Only 455 um, were deemed to have provided valid answers back to the German government on their due diligence practices. And of that 450 plus, only half of those actually met basic due diligence standards. I mean, it's, it's, it's extraordinary. It's worrying. and It's extraordinary. Uh, wow. Uh, what a <laughs> statistic. Um one of the observations I seem to have made is that COVID-19, I don't think, fundamentally changed anything. But what I see is an acceleration of trends that were sort of percolating along. And one of those I wanted to ask you about was in the area of risk assessments. So traditionally, risk assessments might be done annually. Some companies uh, perhaps biennially. 
Um, and now we see risks changing much faster. And even during the time of COVID-19, risks have changed, which have led, I think, people to see the need for a more, not only a more robust risk assessment protocol, but uh, doing it more often. Would, would you find that to be a fair assessment? And could we incorporate that into compliance going forward? Um, yeah, what I'm going to try to do is make an analogy here between um, public health officers um, and practitioners who are, are dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic and, and overlay that with the approach uh, of compliance officers, right? So it's it's CDC and WHO and other uh, scientists and, and such who who track new pathogens, right? Uh, that pose a threat to human health. It could be Ebola, MERS, SARS, you know, those yet unknown. Um, but there are clear parallels to the approach that these public health authorities take with respect to disease surveillance and compliance efforts in general. If you think about the three lines of defense, right? They take a global effort, one, they take a global effort to identify, track hundreds of thousands of as yet unseen pathogens that could jump to humans. They, two, they monitor blood samples from around the world where the diseases are likely to emerge. And then three, they have a concerted program that you know, maybe collects this information and endeavors to use it ahead of the emerging disease. Well, that's not unlike um, a risk approach. Organizations can... Uh, really already have in place and can adapt, right? Identify potential risks up front and track them, particularly those that carry the highest risks, including business partners, contractors, you know, parties who may develop into call it an infection point uh, to the organization. It could be bribery, fraud, collusion, whatever. Um, two, keep continuously monitoring, right? And testing that compliance throughout the organization's system. Uh, this helps you swiftly identify where the problem is emerging. And three, use that information uh, that you gather across the organization from testing, from risk profiling, and developing and evolving controls and mechanisms to combat uh, fraud or what we might think of as corporate infection. Um, you know, don't, don't make these compliance changes predicated on a decrease in your revenue or some other um, unforeseen disruption alone. If you're going to make those changes to the program, um, do so only after you've really given it uh, considered thought and, and identified those new risks and challenges. Um, how, are you, how are you going to implement um, the controls against those? Can they, can they really genuinely be accomplished? Uh, if they're impractical or impossible, what's the point, right? Um, but don't, don't limit thinking just because um, you need a workaround. Evolve that. Um, you know, think of the compliance officer who's sitting at their dining room table or field staff locked down in their respective countries still trying to conduct due diligence. Um, you know, I, I was talking to someone who was serving as a compliance officer uh, to a mid-sized company, and they're doing some fairly high-risk uh, work in Africa. They mentioned due diligence via subscription service. And they didn't have, seem to have a lot of confidence in signing off on a particular business partner that was new to the company. And, uh, and and they said, well, yeah, there was a current business registration available. But I said, did you follow up? You know, what did you do to confirm all of this? Did, did you, you know, did you Google map? Does the, does the business location still actually exist? Are we looking at an empty field? Like, what, what are you doing? Um, and, the, and they said, oh, well, you know, our resources have been cut. I think, well, you know, that's, that's 
really, um, y- you've got to come up with a more um, workable solution than that. It's not enough uh, maintaining, um, you know, due diligence, ongoing contracts, third parties, um, not a, a one-task onboarding uh, risk. Um, it's a horrifying statistic from from that the IBA conducted years ago from a survey. It's a few years old now, but they found that 80% of respondents, uh, and these they were largely legal counsel, dealing with external legal counsel as an intermediary for an entity or a third party, they relied on a recommendation from a colleague as their form of due diligence. Only 32% still researched the prospective lawyer, but they did so by Googling them. Um, when you know that remote doesn't have to be an obstacle to maintaining um, compliance or assessing risks. In some ways, it may give you a new perspective. The um, changes that we've seen in the practice of compliance, and you detailed uh, several of them in your last answer. Do you think that we will maintain those? Certainly, uh, for the next year or so, but perhaps beyond, can we incorporate uh, virtual meetings? Can we incorporate um, more robust due diligence uh, based on documents? Or do we need to go back to the the in-person, face-to-face for a large majority of the compliance work we do, Cal? I, I think there are, um, that there's a lot we can do uh, from the remote Unfortunately, you know, it ultimately at the, at the end of the day, um, it, it is very difficult. You know, uh, we are um, we are a social creature, humans, and sometimes there's just no substitution from being on the ground. That said, that doesn't mean you can't leverage um, resources that are uh, more close to the ground than, say, you are. If you're if you're in the U.S. and um, you know, you you need uh, specific information about uh, a company or new partner uh, in Bangladesh or Africa, or so some Ghana. Um, that's not to say that you can't leverage resources there in those countries to assist you. Um, they may be under lockdown, but that doesn't mean that they can't do some things out in the field. Um, and putting in place uh, much more detailed. Um, desk-bound documentation collection and verification processes is is also um, not only something that can be done now, but should always be done. Well, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time, but as we move into new and different phases of COVID-19 and certainly the economic climate, I hope perhaps I can uh, engage you again to see where we might be uh, down the road. Absolutely. be my pleasure. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance and Coronavirus. This is the only B2B podcast which brings clear and sane information for both the compliance professional and the business executive. If I could ask you uh, to do one thing, if you could tell one person about this podcast, I'm trying to get the word out uh, about this most unique podcast in the compliance podcast network so if you could tell one person about it send them a copy send them a link do something uh, to help me publicize this podcast i would greatly appreciate it compliance and coronavirus is a production of the 
Compliance Podcast Network, and it appears Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of each week. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you'll join me again for another episode. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.